Well, Dylan opened up this service today with a wonderful little welcome that uh, whether you are weary or mourning or sinful or weak or hungry or feel worthless, that you are welcome here. Everyone is welcome here to worship God together. I'd like to, to focus in on one of those statements we read, though. We, we read, to all who sin and need a Savior. Because that includes every single one of us. How many of you sinned this last week? You're, you're getting this drilled down, right? Every hand should be up. You don't want to be called a liar, sir. How many of us sinned last night? Or this morning? Even since this service began? Most of us here. I know from personal experience that we can come to church and gather with God's people and while all the while feeling pretty rotten. Feeling like failures or hypocrites, double-minded, dirty. Because of words that we spoke in anger or slander, hatred, because of links that we clicked online, pictures or videos we viewed, because of lies that we blurted out to our loved ones, maybe our employers, because of thoughts that we entertained or dwelt upon in the dark, because of doubts, perhaps major doubts that we wrestled with, Perhaps because of one too many drinks, or one too many touches, one too many purchases. Because of our laziness or apathy, because of our selfishness or gluttony, because of our failures to pray, because of our failures to love. I know that many of you here feel this way this morning. And if you don't, maybe we should, because we have all failed and fallen short. We are all sinners who need a Savior. So to you, each one of you, to me, to you, this church opens wide her doors and offers her welcome in the name of Jesus. And more than just welcome, let me encourage you. We have good news for you today. We had lots of special things happening today, so since we had a limited amount of time in our service, I'm not going to be taking us to Job this morning. I don't have time to walk you through three full chapters, so we'll be back in Job next Sunday. Instead, for a few minutes, I want us to turn together to one of my favorite scriptures. Most of you probably have a few favorite passages You know, ones that you can turn to time and time again, and they're fresh every single time you read them. You know what I'm talking about? This is one of those for me. Uh, A few weeks ago, in one of those moments when I was feeling like a dirty, rotten sinner, I turned to this passage again, and it was once again an incredible encouragement to me. So I hope that it can be the same for you this morning. Please turn with me to Psalm chapter 103. Psalm 103. 
If, uh, if you don't have a Bible, again, you can grab one from the pew. It will be on page 502. In the library, we have a stack of Bibles on the shelf as well there. Please turn to Psalm 103. This is really a song that was written by King David 3,000 years ago, but a song that I believe still sings today. It resonates in our hearts, and it echoes in our praises. And as we turn to it, let's not just open our Bibles. Let's open our hearts to hear from God. And so I invite you, as we proceed, to pray that God would work on each one of our hearts today. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to your word once again, which we're so thankful for. We pray that you would open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts. Help us leave here convicted of our sin, but encouraged because you are our Savior. May, we, may this scripture change our lives as it does every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How often do you talk to yourself? Have you ever had someone walk into a room and, and go, what was that? What did you say? And you have to sheepishly go, I'm sorry. I was just talking to myself. Embarrassing, right? Well, as we start this psalm, it's like we walk in on David talking to himself or singing to himself, more likely. But this time, he actually wants to be overheard. Okay, he says this. Look in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, outside of church, we don't often use the word bless today in the same way that David uses it here. We'll say, bless you if someone sneezes, or I am blessed for whatever reason. But David's using it as a verb or an action word. Really, he's using it as a command. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. And, and what it means is pretty simple. It means to praise, to, to speak well of someone else. So David is commanding himself to praise the Lord by talking him up or singing him up, which just so happens to be the most repeated command in all of Scripture, to praise or to sing or to exalt or to extol, to glorify, to bless, to worship. So this is not just something for David. We know that this is something for all of us. Everyone reading it, everyone hearing it. But we humans don't like being told what to do very much, do we? Kids, you know what I mean. You don't like your parents telling you what to do. I'll let you in on a little secret, though. Your parents don't like being told what to do either. None of us do. So we, we often resist commands, whatever's told us, even if they're the best thing for us. We feel the need to be convinced of the reason for doing something. So, from the earliest ages, the first words out of our mouth, the first question we ask is, why? So let's ask this question together. Why should we bless the Lord? I'm glad you asked. David's going to tell us why. In no uncertain terms, why we should bless the Lord. For the next 18 verses... He lists at least 28 different reasons to praise God. Just be thankful I'm not going to give you 28 points today. <laughs> but 
That's just because I think they can all be summed up with one point, namely this. The Lord's stunning, steadfast love blesses us greatly. This sums up the major portion of the verses here in Psalm 103. God's steadfast love is amazing, and it amazingly blesses us in so many ways. The Lord's steadfast, stunning, steadfast love blesses us greatly. Look at how David says it, starting in verse 2 again. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. These benefits are a lot more than just the benefits you get from your workplace. Okay? God doesn't just dole out sick leave or vacation pay or RSPs or a health plan. No, God actually actively, constantly, and personally does things for us. He's always working in our lives. God is not just some far-off, aloof, inactive, impersonal force. He loves his people. And he blesses his people. How so? Continue reading. Forget not all his benefits. Verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Forget not all his benefits. We cannot forget these things. But are we ever prone to do so? We write write revisionist histories for ourselves all the time. We think that we grew out of a certain sin or struggle. Or we remember getting better from a disease ourselves, thanks to medicine or doctors. We think that we have gotten ourselves to where we are today. We forget that these are things that only God can do for us. We can't do them ourselves. It's God who forgives our sin and frees us from their power. It's God who heals us from our diseases. It's God who redeems us, who crowns us with love, who satisfies us with good, who renews us. Now, we might hesitate for a moment on one of those, the the heals all your diseases one, right? Heals all. Your diseases. Does he really? What about when we don't get better? Or what about those who have died? Well, most of us are relatively healthy now, aren't we? And yet, we've been sick dozens of times. For those who aren't healthy now, most of us will get healthy again, we will be healed. And for those who ultimately don't get better, I heard a a term recently that I think is a very accurate way, a very Christian way to look at things. Someone was saying how someone they loved had been healed by death. Interesting, huh? If we truly believe in Jesus and the resurrection and heaven and eternity, then this is totally true that God's people who die are healed by death. Our health and our well-being are sovereignly in God's hands. 
And all healing comes from him. Even as he often works through human means. In a room this size, God has healed us from literally thousands of diseases. When it says in verse 4 that he redeems your life from the pit, the pit refers to death or even hell. So he has lowered a rope and he's pulled you up out of the hole that we've all fallen into. This could be both spiritually and physically. This morning, just ponder this physical fact, okay? Given the amount of dangers, toils, and snares you faced in your life, it is a miracle you're alive today. You take your life in your hands every time you step in a vehicle or a bus. Every time you get on a bike. Every time you walk down the sidewalk. You could have inhaled water and drowned or choked on your food a million times. How many breaths have you taken this morning where your lungs didn't collapse? You could, have, you could die hundreds of times every day, and yet you haven't. Have you noticed? Have you thanked him? Have you praised him? He forgives us, he redeems us, crowns us, satisfies us, and renews our youth or our strength. And in those first few verses, there's some other vivid pictures that I don't have time to delve into, but it's like he says he likes, it's like he's placed a royal crown on our head by loving us. And he renews our strength like eagles, which are symbolic of strength and vigor and endurance. God is the one who even gave us the strength to be here today. So thank him. Now, David could have ended there, and it would have been a pretty great song. But he doesn't. Look at verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Now, some of us stop right there and go, wait, wait, wait. He works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed? That doesn't seem to be completely true. What about when he doesn't? Like, what about with people like Job? Right? What, when unju- injustice seems to triumph instead of justice. Well, let me ask you. Does this verse read, the Lord gives justice to all the oppressed now? No, it doesn't. It says that the Lord is working righteousness and justice. It's coming, right? God, in fact, does deliver many oppressed people from injustice now, but not always. And when he doesn't, we still believe he will one day. And a funny thing about Job, as an example, funny thing about his story, right where we're at now, right in the middle of the book, things may seem unjust, but Job's story actually becomes a testament to God's mercy and compassion. In the New Testament, Job is talked about in the book of James, where it says, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, 
and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The lesson, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So, at the end of time, we will be able to say this with full confidence, along with Job, along with David, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. In verse 7, David talks about how God especially set his love on a certain nation. It says, He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Now, this doesn't emotionally impact us very much today for, because most of us, or all of us, aren't Jews. But this can remind us all of these amazing blessings aren't necessarily for all people. Okay, I keep saying us or we today, but these may not apply to you right now. The Lord's stunning, steadfast love blesses us greatly. That us is his people. Not only Israel, of course, but also this equally applies to New Covenant believers. But all these blessings apply to whomever God has chosen to set his love on and to respond to that love with faith, believing and repenting. A bit later, David says this steadfast love of God is for those who fear him. If you refuse to fear him or worship him, he's not going to forgive or redeem or satisfy or work justice for you. And the bad news is that none of us even remotely deserve these things. None of us naturally fear him. But here's the good news. For all of us who keep failing, which I promised you earlier, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. If you're feeling dirty or worn down or struggling today, let these verses wash over you. Okay? Verse 8 again, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Now these, in these verses, all of these aspects, these are all aspects of God's great love for us. He may discipline us at times, but it says he doesn't always chide or scold or accuse us. He may have a holy anger, but it says he's slow, extremely slow to get angry, very patient. He doesn't deal with us all according to our sins, and thank God, because that'd be hell. 
He doesn't repay us all for all our sins. Uh, Some people will pay for their sins, but not the repentant, not those who fear him. Why doesn't he treat us like we deserve? He only answers his love. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. The heavens here refer to, of course, the stars and and planets and such, anything you can see in the night sky. Now, are the heavens high above the earth? (laughs) Yeah, that's an understatement, right? Venus, the brightest object in the night sky outside of the moon, and the closest planet to our earth is over 38 million kilometers away. That's high. When we look up at the stars, which is just astronomically farther than Venus, when we see the stars, we can't even fathom how high above us these things are. And David says, my point exactly. (laughs) As far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. In other words, his love is unfathomable. Especially when could say as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great are our sins toward him. That's what makes his love absolutely stunning. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Question, where do east and west meet? No, not in the Stanley Cup Finals. (laughs) And not in your local Asian fusion restaurant. Not even at the International Dateline. East and West don't ever meet. It's impossible. That's the point. They are opposite points on a compass going in opposite directions infinitely. God loves his people so much that it says he removes his sins from them, but he doesn't just leave the sins next door. He doesn't just ship them across a country or across an ocean. He separates us from them an infinite distance in opposite directions. If you're east, they're west. We are freed and forgiven and cleansed forever. Now, David may not have known all the details of God's plan, but I can't help but think of Jesus as we read these words. With arms outstretched on the cross from east to west, taking the payment for our sins, removing them from us forever. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, no matter how dirty you may feel at times, this is the truth of what God has done through Jesus. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. In Romans, Paul says this as he was torn up over his own sin. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he says, There is therefore now no 
condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 John 1, nine tells us, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Are you stunned yet? David keeps going. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. A few weeks ago, I went into our basement, and I found one of my sons there, and he had taken two full Kleenex boxes and emptied them entirely. (laughs) It was a disaster. And I saw this, and... I knew that I should discipline him for it. But then I found out the reason why he had emptied the boxes. He had got all his costumes together. He put a costume on, dress up, and and he had put the Kleenex box, the empty ones, over his feet. And he looks up at me adorably, and he's like, I wanted shoes. (laughs) I just couldn't punish him. I had compassion on him. I gave him a hug. I said, just help me clean up the mess, okay? (laughs) Now, our sin is not innocent or excusable like this example at all. It's not cute in any way. But David says, God looks at us like his own children. Really, we are his children. And even though we've sinned disastrously, he looks at us. And he has compassion. In Jesus, God's been in our shoes. He knows how we're tempted. He understands us. And he recognizes how weak we actually are. Look in verse 14. For God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. So we're like the grass and flowers that are dying all over Ottawa right now. We have seasons of life that we flourish, but life is short. In contrast, God's love is not short. Verse 17, but... The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Now let me ask you, are you a child of God? If so, nothing will ever separate you from his love. If not, I would urge you with my whole heart to believe in Christ today and find the only love that will never end. Everlasting. Everlasting. Our lives are like one little line of paint on a highway. And his love is the highway. And in case you doubt his eternal power, David says this in verse 19. 
The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Now, given God's just, righteous, merciful, gracious, patient, unfathomable, infinite love, it's fair to wonder, how could we ever repay a love like that? The answer is we can't. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do anything, though. In fact, the whole point of this psalm was to get us to do one thing in particular. Right? It's how David began his song. And it's how he ends the song with an exclamation mark. Verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Here's what this psalm means for us. The Lord's stunning, steadfast love should inspire great blessing from us. The Lord's love means great blessing for us, and it should inspire great blessing from us. The Lord's stunning, steadfast love should inspire great blessing from us. This is the one main application point from the psalm, and it's not a weak application. This is what... The almighty God of the universe, whose kingdom rules over all, wants from us our worship. Our worship. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. In these verses, David moves from the spiritual to the physical, to the personal. From heaven to the created universe to himself. From angels to works to my soul. All creatures of our God and King should and can and will praise him. And that includes you. Now, for some of you who have been paying good attention in our Job series, you might wonder, is this not worshiping God for what he gives us? Are we saying that's wrong to do? Well, yes, in a way that's what this is, but no, this isn't wrong for us to do at all. Okay? It is wrong to fear or worship God or follow God only because of what he gives us. But the Bible is equally clear. When God blesses, we're to praise. Okay? Also, this psalm is not only speaking about what God does. This is really all about who he is. Verse 1 started everything out by saying, Bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. And then every single one of the blessings, the benefits that follow, flows from his name and his character. His, he works righteousness and justice because he is righteous and just. He shows mercy and grace because, as verse 8 says, he is merciful and gracious. He loves us with a steadfast, forever love because, well, it says, God is love. 
So as we come to the end of this psalm, we don't say, bless the Lord's benefits. We say, bless the Lord. Some of you might go, after all this, I don't like to be pressured to praise or sing or whatever. And I'd say, well, don't read the Bible. But also, if we have to pressure you to do this, you probably haven't ever felt the full effects of God's love before. Because if you seek out his love and if you experience his love, you will find that it is impossible to keep from praising him. Yes, well, what if I don't like singing? Who said I'm only talking about singing? Bless the Lord. Talk him up. Speak of him to others. Share his word. Pray. Praise. But truly loving God will demand your whole life. It'll all reflect his glory. But yeah, we also need to sing. That's a command in Scripture, and it should be a joy because of all these blessings that he pours out on us. John Piper says this. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. He's always working, always forgiving, always loving. We see the tip of the iceberg. We need to be told over and over again to bless him for it. So, let's tell ourselves. Literally. Okay? I want you to say something out loud with me again. Not a random verse in scripture. I want you to talk out loud to yourself. Out loud with authority. Okay? Everyone's going to be doing it. You don't have to feel uncomfortable. Every person in the room. Okay? Command yourself. Okay, say your, say your name when I say Matt. Okay, and then repeat after me. Matt, I'm talking to you. Go ahead. You need to praise the Lord. Okay, turn to your neighbor. Okay, you know their name? Say their name. I'm talking to you. You need to praise the Lord. Okay, now turn back to yourself. Okay? Say it again one final time. Matt, I'm talking to you. You need to praise the Lord. Okay, keep going. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's do this together. Worship team, come on up here. Before I have you stand, though, and sing again, Dylan and Emmanuel are going to actually sing a a powerful song over us, a prayerful song, that I hope will be your prayer as well. So just stay seated, soak in the words, and then we will leave as we will stand, and we'll sing together as we leave. All right? Amen. Amen.